everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Vargabilis, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Um, I'm having a lot of cat problems. Hammersmith is... Hammersmith is peeing in places he shouldn't be peeing, and before anyone asks, he's been to the vet several times and been checked out, and there's nothing physically wrong with him. So if you have any good tips to keep your cat from peeing on things that is, you know, that that is not the litter box, uh, our email address is televisions at weta.org, <laughs> and I am happy to take your advice, because Hammersmith is driving me insane. Uh, our uh, cats are not doing too well. Uh, my mother's cat, uh, Clary, who is uh, 14 at this point, is uh, not doing so hot. And she's really sad about it. Um, and I came home and found my cat, Max, uh, being a total jerk and trying to eat the onion, the 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 the, the, the scallion onions. Onions Ew. are uh, illegal, are not illegal, um, um, poisonous to cats. Are they really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they are. Um, it's um, if you uh, uh, Drake once ate a chive plant like a really long time ago and he was basically tripping for like hours. It was really funny, but also really sad. Um, so, yeah, Max is uh, also in trouble for uh eating my husband is also in trouble for living scallions where max would eat them but also max is in trouble for trying to eat scallions um and i will probably find like diarrhea in the box it's gonna be sad and i'm gonna be mad i mean at least i'll do it in the box yes no at least at least there there are there there are silver linings here anyway i promise we're gonna talk about something besides our cat problems (laughs) but like literally i i am literally losing sleep over this so (laughs) again send me your tips cat training I need it. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about that is not cats? Uh, that is not cats. We are actually going to talk about something that's been out for a couple of weeks now, but I think it's important, and I really liked it, and mm-hmm. I have to get through a whole summer of mysteries, so I'm saying that we're going to talk about all the period dramas I want between now and, like, July. <laughs> so we are going to talk about a show called The Confessions of Franny Langton. And if you haven't heard of it, it's uh, streaming on BritBox. It's four episodes. And it is like one part gothic romance, one part murder mystery, one part sort of traditional period drama, all kind of thrown in a blender with a black woman of color main character, a black woman of color main character, a black main character who is a woman. And (laughs) like I said, I have been losing sleep, you guys. Please be nice to me. Um. And a former slave, and it's really who she she comes to England with uh, the man who owns her. He literally gives her to someone else, and then she is later accused of murdering that man she was gifted to, and that man's wife with whom she was having an affair. It's very messy, and it's really surprisingly dark. Like this is not a happy period drama, but it's really interesting, and it feels really unexpected and important. And it's one of the few things I've watched recently where the ending really both honestly shocked me and felt really appropriate. It's great is what I'm saying. And this consider this my plea to watch it if you haven't. Okay. Um. So first of all, I, I want to point out, this is actually based on a novel um, by Sarah Collins. Uh, 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 Who wrote the show as well. 
Yeah, she's a Jamaican-born British novelist um, and apparently a former lawyer. Um, I which, talked to her. She's really lovely. Yeah, they uh, that that kind of tracks because there are so many lawyers who like write romances and that and stuff. Um, and like, I I really love the fact that like this is this is what she's doing. Um, I also just love the fact that you know the thing about prestige TV is prestige TV loves to base itself on books. And one of the things that we need more of, both in books and in television, is these other perspectives on period and historical dramas. You know, seeing a historical mm-hmm. drama from a black point of view, from a woman's point of view, from 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 an Indian point of view, from a South Asian point of view, from a period, and on and on. Like we have had enough white male perspectives, and we need more. And one of the ways to get more is to have books that come out because then TV shows, you know, they 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 gravitate towards it. There's a built-in audience that's read the book that will come to the TV show. Um, for in the case of uh, the Confessions of Franny Langton, this was actually an ITVX streaming show that was part of their kind of debut package back in like December and January when they launched it. Um, basically, they folded in BritBox UK and. ITV streaming and whatnot, and they basically like had a package of shows that they sort of launched with, one of which was a spy among friends, and this was another one. Um, and BritBox is partly owned by ITV, so it was a natural fit for it to come to BritBox here. Unfortunately, that means that it's not going to be on, say, like PBS, where it might get a larger audience, which is one of the reasons why um, after I watched the first episode, I hadn't even gotten through the whole season. I literally, like, I, I, I slacked Lacey and I was like, can we make room for this on the podcast? <laughs> I mean, I've been talking, I like I said, I've been talking about this for a while because I reviewed it and I also interviewed the star and the writer and like it just feels really fresh mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like we don't get a lot when I talk to Sarah Collins, which I promise I will stop saying. I sound like <laughs> such a tryhard. But okay. anyway, one of the points that she made that I think is actually really important was she was talking about how she loved gothic romances like she loved Wuthering Heights and all the Brontes basically but um that she never felt like there was a place for her in those stories and that she wanted to write a gothic romance with a black woman at the center of it and I mean I think she wrote something that's a lot more than just a gothic romance but that is where the impetus for it came from okay we should probably summarize the plot better than I did Okay, so Franny Langton is basically she uh, she was born a slave in Jamaica and she was the property of John Langton, hence her last name. John Langton is this dude who is basically like trying to prove that Africans aren't human. Um, And he's been doing this research and he's kind of sort of employed her in helping him. Employed is a very wrong word for this. He basically forces her to help him with his experiments and Franny goes along with it because... She is not immune to the fact that being his helper, as complicit as it makes her and as gross as it makes her feel, um, does give her a certain amount of power, a certain Mm -hmm. amount of respect, a certain amount of position among the slaves on their plantation that other people do not have. And a theme throughout the story is that she is susceptible to that, to a sort of being in a in a a different like you know sometimes we're like oh i'm a i'm not a regular mom i'm a cool mom it's mm-hmm. like that kind of um but it's also she um she she learns to read and this becomes her access to books and there's also that that she gets that, that basically this gives her 
an uh, an escape that she didn't have without it. And yeah, she basically gets to sort of like be one of those people who's who's less oppressed than the others oppressed around her. Right. Oppression Olympics. That's a fairly good phrase. Yes, there we go. Anyway, so she goes to basically uh, Langton takes her to the UK and she goes with yeah, him. I was like, we have to make sure in all of this that we phrase this and because there are points later in the story where Franny does get to make some choices. Um, here, she does not have a lot of choices. She no. is someone's property. She does not choose to go to England. She is taken to England. Mm-hmm. She does not choose to stay with um the couple that she is eventually accused of accused of murdering. George Benham and Marguerite. Um, like she's literally gifted to them. And one mm-hmm. of the things I learned while I was sort of doing a little bit of research on this time period in this book and the story is that this is set at a very particular time for a very particular reason. It's the early um, 19th century. It's the Regency era, basically. And it's a very kind of gray area when it comes to the way that uh, enslaved people were treated in England, because it's after slavery was... a. It's, it's after England said they weren't going to participate in the slave trade anymore. But before they technically made everyone free in all their colonies. The way that I've always thought of this era um, in British history is that uh, I think it was 1780 something or 1790 something. There is basically a ruling from the Supreme Court. uh, Well, what, what passes for the Supreme Court in the UK, where they basically find slavery to be illegal and inhumane and horrifying. And 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 basically it is ruled that slavery needs to be outlawed. So slavery is outlawed. The problem is, is that the entire monarchy and aristocracy, all of their money is in slaves and in sugar and in. And so there's this there's this era where all of their money is tied up in it and they can't. So they can't really separate because if they did, the economy crash. I, the bright the bright line is that in I actually I, I knew I had notes on this and I found them while I was oh, talking. Goody. In 1807, the UK abolished the international slave trade. OK. Yes. So. Um, but uh, emancipation was not enacted until 1833. There we go. So that is a multi-decade decade period where it's it's a really weird gray area like in England if you were to set to step on the on on the soil of the United Kingdom and you were an enslaved black person you would be free and if you did not happen to set foot on the physical soil of the United Kingdom if you lived in a colony or you know were an American enslaved person you were out of luck yeah but if an American came to England as a slave they could be consider like I, I think if they ran away, they could be yes considered free there, but they could never go back to America, obviously, or to any of the British colonies until eighteen thirty three. And uh, basically, this is this is almost fully an economic thing where they where there was a, a basically people moved their money over the next twenty years in in that twenty year period of 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 this gray area. To the point where when they finally emancipated all the slaves, it didn't bankrupt the economy. Well, it also didn't change that much, not immediately anyway, Um, because despite and especially even during this gray area, although, you know, the slave trade was abolished, a lot of black Britons, black Britons did exist. Mm -hmm. There were quite a lot of them, actually, uh, were often exploited and forced to work like you see this happen to Franny, forced to work very demeaning jobs that they 
didn't actually sign up for and are generally treated like slaves, just not whipped. Yeah. And she doesn't have any she doesn't have anywhere else to go. Like these people don't have anywhere else to go. So they just do it. They're like slaves, but called something else and treated slightly better. And honestly, like regency romances are a thing okay we got bridgerton we got we, we we've got jane austen we've got all of these like regency set pieces and this is the very first time i have watched a story on television in which we see this side of the regency era and for me that was one of the big reasons why i wanted to talk about this show because i think that getting as i said getting these perspectives getting a different perspective learning about the parts that we don't know because history is whitewashed and i i mean that and i i don't mean i mean that as a pun and i don't mean that as a pun like history has whitewashed this and this is not something that England basically gets to go around saying, hey, listen, we abolished slavery and we emancipated everybody. We didn't even have to have a war about it. Right. Like and and no. <laughs> I mean, if you look at something like Bridgerton, which has made a lot of sort of cultural hay out of the fact that it has cast diversely in its period series, um, you know, the, the show the show, yes, deserves credit for doing that, but it doesn't necessarily do a lot in the way of unpacking what any of that means. I still can't tell you whether the Raj nope. exists in season two of Bridgerton, which is quite concerning, considering that a big piece of the Sharma story is the fact that they are from India and a lot of other things. But, you know, they don't really grapple with what any of that means. Franny Langton does try to grapple with what that means because, as I said, Franny is very... um uh, you know, she knows how to read. She knows how to do a lot of things that she learned helping out her terrible previous owner. And she does not consider herself lesser. So she doesn't behave as though she's lesser. And that really, like, pisses a lot of people off. And yet she is also, I mean, she's accused of murdering the Benhams and taken to jail. And no one... I mean, everybody just immediately assumes that she's guilty because she's a black servant who killed her white masters. Of course, she's guilty. And there, I mean, there's, there are just really, and there's a subplot which isn't super important to like the sort of larger story of whether Franny did it or not about um, black sex workers who did find a certain level of independence and agency by working in that particular trade during this time. I learned a lot from the show, to be honest with you guys. And seen, I saw a lot of stuff I hadn't seen before. Okay, so one of the things I really loved about the show is how young and innocent Franny is despite everything she's been through. When she gets to England, she really, there is an innocence about her and her assumption that she is equal that, that is startling. And there is the way she falls in love with Marguerite and their relationship. There is an innocence about that as well. Like this is the first time she's ever had feelings for anyone. And there's almost a there's almost a Romeo Mm -hmm. and Juliet teenage infatuation to it in a way that's not that that's uh, that that's inherently well i mean obviously it's unequal because marguerite owns her so there's something inherently unequal in their relationship anyway technically i think she just works for them but it might just be on paper i'm not sure she doesn't have a she doesn't have anywhere else to go so it's sort of like a mm-hmm. it's sort of like a moot question a little bit because if she doesn't 
I mean, which there is a period where she leaves the Benhams for a little bit and she goes to stay with her friend who basically runs a brothel. And that's the only other option for her. The thing is, is that like, even if she's not actually a slave, Marguerite is still her, is still her employer. Um, So yeah, there's, there's, and, and it's almost like she seems almost unaware of their power of of their power differential like franny almost doesn't seem to see it at first and then when she finally does see it it's too late i don't know i found i i found her as a character to be a fascinating blend of of innocence and and naivete and yet also like she knows she's complicit Mm-hmm. And she feels she feels real shame over it, too, mm-hmm. because this, I don't know if we mentioned this, but we probably should have the story sort of told over two timelines, one of which the show opens with her being found in bed with Marguerite's dead body and her husband and Marguerite's husband, George, is basically dead in the parlor downstairs. But Franny has a lot a lot a laudanum addiction and doesn't remember the night before. So she's arrested and taken to jail. And while she is in jail, we start seeing the show unspool the story that she's writing down, which is the story of her life and how she came to England and how she met the Venoms. And so it's a dual narrative thing going on that really each piece informs the other piece. Yeah. And by the end of the uh, by the end of episode four, when she's on the stand, she finally actually unspools the 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 last thing that happened before she was brought to the UK and the reason that she the reason that her laudanum addiction basically exists like why the 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 pain that she's in what 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 it actually stems from more than more than just being complicit more than just feeling guilty like there is an actual like um there is a there is a, a moment of of she feels a lot of shame over a specific event yeah um and and you finally get that at the end of episode. You finally get that in her testimony for episode four, and then you also find out like whether or not she did it. And she actually, it's almost like she remembers it as she tells it, and like she need and and she mm-hmm. keeps saying at the end, I I had to that that I had to go on trial for this. I couldn't just confess because I needed to know whether or not I'd actually killed Marguerite. I needed to know. I needed to know. Um, and it's a, it's a quite a powerful thing. And, you know, I don't want to spoil what, whether or not she's guilty. I I really do find the ending very interesting. Like, and I would, I kind of want to talk about it, but it's really, I think more effective if we don't. So you sort of go into it, not knowing. The thing is, is that it's actually a very complicated ending because she is kind of guilty, but she's also kind of not. And, and the show doesn't make any bones about that. They don't try to turn her into uh, an innocent figure who has been wronged. And they don't try to make her into an evil person who, who who wronged people. It's just that this is what happened. And it's complicated. And the ending is the right one. But it's also sad. But it's also not. Weirdly empowering. Yeah. I don't know. It's very strange. It's really well done. Um, but I watch a lot of TV, guys. Very little surprises me anymore. But that the show legitimately did surprise me. I think. Um, I mean, for a lot of reasons. I mean, I assume I went in assuming that she would be a one hundred percent innocent, and that she would turn out to be wronged, and that, like one of the one of the family members that gets mentioned in the early going, who all clearly hate her framed her in some kind of way like i totally was ready for that ending and then it was like no no you don't get that you don't get something clean 
And I I really appreciated that because so many mysteries don't let you have a, 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 a messy ending. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be very clearly laid out. Yeah, because mysteries are inherently about restoring order from chaos. Like that's why we watch them. Mm-hmm. And somehow, somehow though, even talking about the show like a mystery feels wrong. Yes, there is a mystery in it, but I think, I think it's really, I don't know. I I'm more inclined to call mm-hmm. it a romance or a love story, with because that's where all of it comes from. I know it's re- it's very complex. Yeah. And at one point she says if there's one crime that I truly committed it was being a woman in love with a woman. And that is in a way like, you know, that's that that's the that that's ground zero. That's really where it all stems from is that she fell madly in love with this French woman who she couldn't have. Let's talk about Marguerite for a second, who's a very interesting character in her own right. Um she clearly is unhappy. She clearly, although she on paper has more um, status and power than Franny does, she is just as uh, trapped. She's just as much possession as Franny is to, to, to George. She doesn't have any more control over her. She Yes, she's rich. Yes, she's an aristocrat's wife, but she has almost no control over her own life or her future. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want it. Like, at one point, Franny tries to say, let's run away. And she goes, what do we do? Get a cottage by the sea? And just like, like, I think she does want it, but on her terms. I don't think, I think she, I think, but then again, I also Mm -hmm. think she's incredibly lazy. I don't know how I feel about Marguerite. I don't know how I feel about their relationship. There are definitely moments in this show where I question about, like, how much of it is even real. Mm. That, That Marguerite is basically playing with her. There are definitely moments where it, it almost feels like, and that's what I said, like, that's why I said, like, there's so many times when, like, uh, Franny feels so naive that she buys that what Marguerite is basically selling, that Marguerite is basically bored and that this is something that she can play with and pleasure herself with and have fun with. And Franny is 100% like hard eye emojis. I think they're both, I think they both find kind of a, this sounds very hallmarky, but like a freedom a little in each other, like a catharsis with each other that they don't get from their day to day lives. But I definitely did at multiple points question whether their feelings were genuinely love for one another or whether they, either or both of them were into the sort of politics like convenience of it really Uh, and also the idea of it like that's why i said that you know franny's very much feels like this sort of romeo and juliet over the top you know infatuation she's in love with the idea of marguerite more than the reality of the woman i do like that they don't do the thing that a lot of shows that have that have queer relationships at the center spend a lot of time doing which is where they sort of waffle about it or Mm. feel ashamed of it or 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 otherwise, you know, it's just sort of a yes. fact of who they both are. And it's not it's like that's not the story. Yeah. Um. As as as, as I said earlier, like Freddie says, my one crime is uh, being a woman who loved a woman. But honestly, like she's not ashamed of it when she says that. And she's she's actually kind of proud of the fact that this is who she is and this is this is what she is. And she doesn't and 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 she doesn't feel any shame for it. And she doesn't want the world to think that she is ashamed of it. I know Franny is the one who wants to basically like be public with 
with Marguerite. Mm-hmm. She wants to to just be open about the fact that they love each other, which I think is, as you said, sort of an example of, of how naive she is in a lot of ways, because Marguerite is really a lot more aware about kind of the 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 realities of the world that they live in and how far their sort of fantasy together can actually extend into their lives like what you know you see it a few times with various people kind of figuring out that they're having an affair and the way that they react to it and the way that they react to you know the whole concept of women women loving women that this that the the future that Franny wants is just not possible because it's not real like they are restricted by the rules of the world they're born into. Yeah. And I don't think Marguerite wants to give up what she'd have to give up in order to live that way. You know, she doesn't have, she's not like, I, I it, one of the other shows that I thought of when I was watching this was Gentleman Jack, um, which is also a Regency set series that it's about two women um, and, you know, Anne Lister and, and her wife, Anne. And her wife, Anne, gives up a lot to be with Anne. Right. Like she gives up a lot to be with Lister and she's she's willing to sort of live, you know, with that. And Marguerite is just not that kind of person. Like you like you get that loud and clear that 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 she would never be that kind of person, even even if Franny were to be like Ann Lister with with money and status and household, that she still wouldn't do it because she simply couldn't stand to be that. Yeah, I think that's very possible. I think. I think going back to Sarah Collins's love of gothic romances mm. and of Wuthering Heights in particular, I do get real Kathy Heathcliff mm. vibes for this from this because I don't, I don't doubt that their mm. affection is genuine. I'm not sure that I, I that I fully have come down on a side of whether I think, you know, they're really try like they're both really kind of pulling in the same direction in terms of what kind of relationship they want. But I don't doubt the genuineness of their feelings. I also don't know that I think they're good for each other. <laughs> no, that is the other thing that I think is also they're, like they're taught they're toxic in the same way that most gothic romances are on some level toxic. Mm, absolutely. That is one thing that I 100 percent agree with is that this it, it, Again, like, as I said, for for Franny, it feels like infatuation. For Marguerite, it feels a little bit like boredom. But, you know, even if there is, like, genuine affection that they find for each other and a genuine love story that they do sort of build from, where they came from to get into this relationship is toxic. And that, when the roots are toxic, the plant will always be toxic, even if it manages to find some beauty. And that really is sort of, like, how I felt about their relationship is that the the... It was at its base too toxic to ever live. I also just I have to say I really loved Sophie Cookson, um, who plays Marguerite. I know I feel like I feel like I spend a lot of time talking about how good uh, Carlos Bone Spence is, but I don't think she would be as good if Sophie Cookson wasn't so good. Yeah, she was a she was Christine Keeler in the Trial of Christine Keeler, and um, it took me about halfway through the series for me to suddenly realize that's who she was. But it it it. it I, I thought she was just so good. And I thought the two of them together are so good. And, you know, there's a level where, like, Stephen Campbell Moore, who plays George, is is kind of... He, he almost doesn't have to do much more than just, like, be evil because they're so good that he's just kind of like, yeah, and I just stand here and be evil and you do everything to me. And I kind of love that because in so many of these shows, like, the women sort of stand there and let men 
do all the work. And in this one, it's very much the women who are doing all of the acting work. And George is just kind of there as a wall. Um, the only the only real memorable man is uh, John Langton, who is just horrifying. Yes, uh, that's Stephen McIntosh. Oh, my God, he is. He's creepy. Um, and he is like, honestly, like there's a moment where he gets dragged out of court screaming um, obscenities at Franny. And it is it is a cathartic moment, even though I knew somewhere in the back of my brain that it probably would never actually happen. Um I, I just I, I thought he was so good. Stephen McIntosh is a he's a he's been in so many things. Um he he's just one of those guys. Like he he's a that guy. Mm-hmm. I, I he was in a season but Hey, it's that guy. Yeah, he's he was in a season of Luther. He was like um where have I seen I'm pretty sure I saw him in Dag Leash. I'm pretty sure I've seen him in other stuff. Um he's just recognizable that way, except that he has, you know, those giant ass sideburns because it's, you know, the it the Regency era, and that's what they have on their faces. <laughs> Not a great look. Not a great look. Um, and actually really helps kind of hide the fact that he's that guy for a while because you're sort of like, have I seen him before? And the the, the sideburns are so distracting that you kind of don't realize that you've seen him other places or place him until like you go a couple episodes in. Anyway, um, sorry. Oh, you know what we forgot to talk about? What? Laddie. Oh! Um, you know, I found Laddie to be a very fascinating character because one of the things that I kept Basi- waiting... Basically, Laddie is another... It's he, He's a, a black boy. Well, he's a black man now in the story. But prior to Franny's arrival at the Benhams, uh, I guess Laddie was sort of their token. Mm-hmm. He, he, was, he was Franny before there was Franny. He was the last one who got brought over, basically. Which, which when you think about it, is really uncomfortable and kind of once you realize exactly how he uh, like exactly his many relationships to the various members of that household it, it's really uncomfortable and it really makes you look at even Mar- at marguerite in a different way too oh yeah um i i kept waiting for her to turn on him i kept waiting for franny to turn on him and basically use him to get out of all this. Oh, like a jealousy thing. Yes. And that that, that he was that he was her gonna he, that that at some point she would suddenly realize that he could be her get out of jail free card and that she could find a way to pin this all on him. She doesn't. And she doesn't. Um and I was But genu- she is incredibly jealous of him. She is. And yet she's a decent human being about it. And that was another thing that I was not Especially once it became clear to me that this that this show wasn't going to go the way I expected it to go, um, I was really genuinely surprised about like how how she treats him and how much respect she has for him. Almost like she she's treating him the way she wishes someone had treated her. And you know it's 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 quite a it, it it's quite a a complex relationship. Two of them have it is because i tend to read the jealousy more in it than than the decency mm-hmm. because i think she's incredibly jealous of laddie mm-hmm. and she resents his presence whenever he's around i i see that as her, he reminds her of what she is like she can't pretend like he he's mm. he's that mirror one um there's a striking moment where she says that she came that that, that she did what she did because she wanted a mirror um that that she that she that 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 she wanted basic that she wanted basic like luxuries like a mirror, and I I found that striking a because that's just such a very striking thing to want, and b because well, it's also just a horrifying thing 
to realize that that's something that she doesn't have mm. or hasn't had. And also because for three episodes, all I had been able to think is that Laddie holds a mirror up to her and she can't look. Mm. And so when she said that, I kind of blinked and I was like, babe, there's a mirror right there and you you hate him. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like I always, I, 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 their relationship is so complex and so fascinating. And the fact that she doesn't turn in on him is, is another moment, is another way this show really differ, differs from your, your usual tropes. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially this being a gothic romance, because usually something like that, like they accuse them and then at the very, very end, they, the guilt comes out and they have to take it all back. And here she just never even does it. You know? Anyway. Oh, you mean like frame him or something? Yeah, like that. that in, in or a, accuse him. Mm-hmm. In a traditional gothic romance, I feel like that would be a that would be a whole that would be a whole arc of her accusing Laddie of him being taken away, of the guilt eating her, and then her having to to need to say that I uh, I have wronged him, and that being actually part of the guilt that that drives her to 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 be guilty of whatever it is she's guilty of you know like that that that, that at, it, it's the cover-up not the crime guilt <laughs> mm. yeah and it that just it just it just never materialized and i was really surprised <laughs> um i think out of the i don't and i don't know why this is but i think out of the whole show i feel the sorriest for marguerite like <sighs> she's I do, though, because she has so much and she can't appreciate any of it, which is a moral failing, to be sure, in some ways. But everyone in her life is a jailer. Just as much as, just as much as, okay, no, it's not equivalent to Franny's life because nothing is equivalent to slavery. But she is has also been sort of jailed and oppressed in her own white lady way. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. even her... Her husband, her husband is awful to her. Her sister, sister-in-law uh, is uh, 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 that's Jody, uh, uh, Jody May. Um, is like constantly <laughs> is like constantly spying on her and reporting oh, on her to her husband. Like she has nothing in her life that she can trust. So yeah. I get why she's awful. Mm. If I had to say who I sympathize with the most. Honestly, I think it's Franny's mother. Oh, I, 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 I that that that's the person that has my deepest sympathy. I think it's so interesting that neither of us says Franny. Um. Well, I mean, honestly, I do. I mean, I do, but I don't. Like Franny is in in a lot of ways an agent of her own destruction. Mm-hmm. She's kind of an antihero in that in that sense, in the traditional antihero sense. Like she's like she's like the the ad exec in Mad Men or or Walter White in, in Breaking Bad, where where you love them but you don't love them because you know that they're that that they are guilty because they they put themselves there. Um, but I, I think I think Carla Simone Spence also uh plays her in such a way that it makes it very that that she doesn't want your sympathy. Hmm. And I think that's actually deliberate, that she she absolutely never wants to be a victim. And she and 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 she plays the character that way. And so in a way, she doesn't give you that. She doesn't give you that option. And I don't think that's a bad thing, honestly, because I think it helps sort of keep the the audience a little bit of a distance and be able to see things clearer. And I think especially in a story like this, which doesn't get told very often and which has so much history behind it, I think being able to see things clearly is really important 
for for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also really important to mention, and I should have said this earlier, I think it's really important that this is a story about an enslaved woman where the most interesting part of her story or the most impactful part of her story is not the slavery. Oh, it's man. not. Yeah. It's not the fact that she was a slave. There's not. You know, I feel like a lot of times when we watch stories about slavery, it's really like torture porn. You know what I mean? It's just like constant, unending misery and violence. So everybody makes sure they know how terrible it is. Twelve years a slave, anyone? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, not to not to knock that movie. It's oh, I've, I've watched it all one time and that's <laughs> enough for me. The performances are incredible, but it's it's like two and a half hours of just mm-hmm. a lot. But I think it's, you know, I think it is important to have stories like this that are granted. This is a story about like, you know, murder and drugs and and a relationship that will never make anyone happy. But the this this fact that she is a former enslaved person is like not the most important. It's not the most important thing about her. It's not the only thing that ever happened to her. Yeah. I mean, it it it. It 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 it's her it's her it's 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 her er trauma, shall we say? Um, but it's not the thing that defines her. Mm-hmm. And she refuses to let it be the thing that defines her. And I think that's another reason why this show is so important, because we don't have enough stories where an enslaved person's history isn't just like well, they were enslaved. Like that, they're, they're, we don't have enough of those stories out there, and we need more of them. We need more. If we need more historical period dramas that are about black characters that aren't just about well, they were enslaved. Like we need, we need. There, there, there. There, people are are more than one thing. There, 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 there. Mm-hmm. There's so many levels to them. You, and they deserve stories about those other levels. You know. Exactly. Well, also because black people existed in Britain during this time period and they did things other than be slaves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, I think that's important because I think, you know, I on some level, American drama is guilty of this as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Especially especially because we had a whole civil war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a whole lot of like, you know, we never actually dealt with any of it afterwards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So, yeah, uh, that 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 is a problem that we have in our culture, too. But I I think honestly that the fact that that the UK is sort of downplays its slavery narrative is one of the reasons why this story could exist and not mm-hmm. focus on the slavery in a way that Americans kind of have trouble with. Um, and that's that's unfair, but it's also I, I, I don't know what to do with it. I also think that the UK has this tendency, and you talked about this a little bit earlier, to to be very like look how progressive we were on this issue. And you look at, like, Queen Victoria basically, like, adopted a girl from Africa. Who she was gifted in the exact same way. And called her her goddaughter for the rest of her life. But, like, that's kind of weird, guys. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's not good. Yeah. But that was, like, the symbol of how progressive she was. Yeah. And, and, And the fact that, like, 
you know, that that even after emancipation in, in 1833, some dude brings this girl back from Africa. I don't even remember what country it was. And hands her and is like, here, I brought you a gift. And, and that's still happening. And Victoria had to accept that gift because she didn't want to offend the dude. And that's that's so screwed up. <laughs> If you um, have watched the PBS series, Victoria, this happens in um, a Christmas episode. Yeah, it's one of the Christmas specials. This happens in a Christmas episode. And the girl's name, you can uh, there. I just listened to I listened to this podcast called Noble Blood a lot. And they just did an episode on her. Well, probably they didn't just do it. I'm very behind on all my podcasts. I just listened to it. <laughs> um, and her name was Sarah Forbes Bonetta. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that... Uh, Anyone knows what her her real name is, like her given name, because she was five when she was brought to England. Um, I don't know. It's very it's her her life story is very interesting, but it's a really I just strange example of the way that the UK historically has acted about this issue. Like, oh, well, it's fine now because Queen Victoria helped one African girl become like a middle class English lady. Okay, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, so yeah, I just, I think of all the, you know, I find the BritBox, when BritBox hits, it hits really hard. You know, we, one of the shows we talked about last, last year was uh, Sherwood. And it was, I think, maybe the best, one of the best two shows I watched of any, any streamer anywhere of any type of series. I know, I really want people to find this show because it feels really necessary. I mean, I know it's only April. And so we still have several months of television to go, and I could, but right now, so much television. It, it, it's it, I know. Um, we still have months and months to go, but honestly, like Confessions of Franny Langton at this moment is the best show I've seen so far this year, and I have trouble imagining that I will see something that will actually and truly, utterly knock it off its perch. And that, and that includes having watched like most of Yellow Jackets at this point. <laughs> I sorry, I can't say that. I can't. There will be no Yellow Jackets slander on this show. <laughs> I didn't slander. I'm just saying that, like, honestly, I think Confessions of Franny Langton is at this point it is my top show of the year. I just, I don't know. It's very, I don't. I'll deal with the best of list problem at the end of the year. I feel okay. confident the show will be on my best of list. I don't know where because, like I said, I am very fond of Yellow Jackets. <laughs> but as period dramas go, I it's probably it's almost certainly going to be the best period drama I watched this year for sure. Yeah, sorry, masterpiece. Whether that's economies of scale or not, I leave to you. But it's really, really good, and it's only four episodes, and it's really engrossing. And I just I want people to find this show because I think I think its existence matters in sort of a, a 10,000 foot view, but it's also just a really good drama, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think counts for a lot. <laughs> I mean, we are television critics after all. Right. It's really good. I was honestly very surprised that some of our, that more of our brethren in the critics world did not review it, but I, it's peak TV is vast. I understand it, but it's good. Uh, you know, when I was I was at the Television Critics Association and I told everybody that Sherwood was my favorite show from last year, literally all of them turned to me and said, what was that? Like, none of them had heard of it. Okay, BritBox. There's too is, much TV, guys. Right? And BritBox is niche that way. And so, like, you just got to get the word out and, and hope. I know. Trying to lo- use our platform for good here <laughs> in some way. 
Um, anyway, the confessions of Stranny LinkedIn for Stranny. Hi, let me try that again. The confessions of Franny LinkedIn is currently streaming on BritBox. Uh, you should go watch it. And Annie, you should tell the people where to find you online. Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle on most um, Twitter clones and Twitter itself, which has yet to implode, I guess. I don't know. It depends what five minutes you ask me. Um, you can find me at Miss Annie Bundle uh, on Facebook, and you can find me at Annie Bundle on Instagram, where I mostly post pictures of my very fuzzy cats and every so often make an Instagram story about a freelance piece I did because I've learned how to make them. Um, shush. I know. Some of us are old okay what do we could do? talk to emma anyway <laughs> actually i talked to my sister-in-law uh but you know anyway um i uh, i am the uh, associate editor here televisions and i also freelance for places like msnbc and cnn and uh primetimer etc and so basically if you want to know what i wrote today just uh I don't know, go to uh, whatever social media of your choice is, if it's not Twitter anymore, and find me and find whatever link I posted, because that's where my stuff is. Huzzah. I am LaceyMB on Twitter and virtually every other site on the internet. So come be my friend, read all my bylines, look at the cat photos or the tweets of me complaining. And uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's wild out there now, guys. So just try to have fun. That's what I'm saying. If you just want the site and the pod, we are on Twitter at telly underscore visions and televisions blog, all one word on Facebook. If you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org where we've got news posts, listicles, recaps, all manner of thinky things and stuff. I don't know. I'm really proud of how our new site looks. So I'm trying to get everybody to go visit and look at it. It's not that new anymore, but it's still shiny to me. Uh, while you're there, you can click on the donate button up top if you would like to help us keep make keep making all of this great content for your eyes and ears. We love you and appreciate all support from anybody out there listening in the dark. And uh, you can also get access to PBS Passport, which is, I don't even know, Annie just did this month's list for things coming in April and it's bursting with stuff. I mean, there is like, so much Walter's Choice. Hey, Astrid people, stop asking me. The answer is April 20th, season two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can also watch Sanditon, Marie Antoinette, and Tom Jones when it drops at the end of April. So mark your calendars. And I don't know. It is peak bloom still somehow where we are. I went down there uh, last weekend and it was beautiful. I hadn't been down there since before the pandemic to look at the trees and neither apparently had the thousands of other people who joined me on that excursion, <laughs> which was, it was a lot, um, but they were beautiful. It's really beautiful out. Let's all enjoy the weather here for the next two weeks before summer um, hits. the armpit of summer arrives in just a month or so. Uh, get your COVID booster if you are eligible. Allergy medicine if the trees are as active around you as they are around me. And I don't know, do something nice for somebody who isn't yourself. Be kind to your neighbor. Say hi to a stranger. It is the season for improve self-improvement and a whole lot of religious holidays. So if you're celebrating, please have a good time doing all of that. And we will see you next week on some other incredible topic, I'm sure. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 